Thank you, worship team. I hope that I'm on here. Let me get rid of that. Good morning, saints. Looks like we wore out some of you from last week, huh? So I can't do that again. That was too exhausting. Sorry, I I am not being super friendly today because I have a cold, and I don't want to pass it on, so I haven't been around shaking hands too much. I've been doing elbow bumps, and if I sound a little cruddy, that's because I am. And uh, no comment on that. Um, I want to I want to take just a couple of minutes. Um, I actually wrote in my notes, and I'm glad I'm going to kind of be glued to my my notes a little bit because my brain is so clogged up today. But uh, I wanted to take a minute just to thank everybody for last week. It was so much fun. It really was. It really was. Um, uh, yeah, was it? It was your pleasure. Then then I don't have any pleasure in it, right? Is that? It was so much fun. Um, I, I have to confess, I want to say thanks to everybody who made it happen, you know, and I know that uh, especially with the meal and all the decorating, there were three ladies in particular, Janine and Mrs. Vizethan and Mrs. Horowitz and some other, and I'm probably leaving out too many people, so I won't keep going, but everybody made it happen. The, the tech team had to get all that stuff together. Bob, we're going to have a movie eventually, right? It's going to be world famous, and uh, you'll be quoting it. So we, had, we just had a great time. And um, actually, what I want to do this morning, what are you saying, young lady? Yeah, we're quoting the movie before we know it. All right. Um, oh, everybody loved that one, you, right? You want to have the Disney experience, just go into the shower with your clothes on, flush $200 down the... And then you, anyway, you like... Listen, I have a beef. Um, you know, last week I said, this is like, like a marriage. You know, I said I do. And then immediately I had somebody come to me and say, hey, you know that guy, Ray, who told all the stories? You loved his stories, especially the Baptist preacher with the beer story. I know you love that. And uh, they, I, I heard right away, can we trade? Can we trade? Uh, I, we want him. You go up there and take his church. I'm like, I want an annulment. You know, like, what are you doing to me? We'll keep you, huh? Yeah, well, okay. So I'm going to tell a story about when uh, I, I, di- I have made improvements over the years. Uh, I got married to my first wife, Sherry, and, uh, and I married her, and uh, I said to her right on the honeymoon, I was very romantic. I said, wow, now I have a wife. What am I going to do with her? It's like... I've improved a lot. You can ask her. I've gotten much more romantic because our, our, our uh, wedding night uh, meal was pizza. And she stayed with me all these years. Can you imagine? So I have improved, but anyway. So hopefully I'm still improving. Now, I'm not talking about you now. I'm talking about the church. So don't, don't get so enthusiastic. I just kind of want to enjoy some of what God did last. Oh, are you mad about that? You, you. I see you shaking your head like that's. T- okay, well then I'm not going to touch that. But my office will be open this week for marriage counseling. I was having a number of thoughts. Uh, I'm just ignoring you now. And by the way, for those of you who are visiting and you're not used to this kind of craziness, 
I do, I do kind of like churches that interact. I really do. I like questions and answers. I like being able to, uh, in fact, I'm thinking I'm going to engineer that in at least once a month so we can dialogue because I don't like preaching here when your questions and your places that you're itching are over here, and I'm not scratching that itch. So I really like to be useful on your behalf. So we'll be doing some of that. I was thinking about last week, um, one of the greatest things for me, well, there, there were two things. When I, I sneak in here on Saturday night to pray, I think some of you know that. And I snuck in that night and I saw the auditorium with flowers and I couldn't resist. I looked in the gym and I saw all that and I went, these guys are serious. This was awesome. And I was uh, very, very blessed and encouraged by that. But the thing that was very encouraging to me as I prayed that this would not be about me per se or even you, but that it would be about Jesus. And, and uh, I've gotten a lot of feedback in the last week. People are still kind of talking about how we felt that God was honored and exalted. And that was an answer to prayer. And that's what we want to continually see happen, that the name of Jesus and his grace is magnified. And so I want to just kind of ride that wave a little bit today, if we could, and just uh, push into this a little bit. I was thinking about the stories that were told last week. We love stories. Uh, we're in a culture that really does thrive on stories, uh, and that's kind of like ancient culture as well. The more we became uh, literate, uh, the less storytelling took a place, and then it came back. It's been coming back storytelling, and in pre-literate uh, cultures, storytelling would be a very big thing, which is why the gospel was told in story form. People didn't have the Bible till Gutenberg, and that was a way, way down the road uh, in terms of history. But a number of stories came together, and I was thinking about that and the issue of story, and so this morning, you might have noticed in your notes, I'm going to tell several stories, and uh, one is an ancient one. It has something to do with the picture that's on the screen. The next one is also ancient. It has to do with the scripture. We'll talk about that. And then we really bring it up to the modern day, which will be how are we part of the story? Because it's some of what God's doing in the world. He's making his story known and his glory known. That's what he's in the business of doing. So these are just my opening comments. I have a four-hour sermon that I'm going to preach in just a couple of minutes. But first, I want to finish all of this. Nice. I made that up. Uh, tonight, we'll be praying together, okay, if you can make it. If you uh, can't, you don't have to feel guilty, but a little guilt would help. Uh, but we are going to be praying together. We're going to be pressing in. We want to see God uh, work in our lives. And we were talking as uh, Don mentioned that verse, if you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. And that's what we need. We need him uh, to lean into us. We need to be leaning into him and we want him to be found here in this place. So we'll be praying tonight. I just want to remind you about that. And let's see, I have one more thing I'd like to explain, and that is today I'm going to start a series out of the book of Philippians. See that little, how do we get to that? Wasn't that a mistake? Let me just see something here. Aha, I must have pushed the button in my pocket, sorry. It's a problem with these newfangled electronic things. Saints Alive. That's actually what I'm going to call the series, 
But what it is going to be is a series out of the book of Philippians. And um, some of you may have been around long enough to remember when pastors did expository preaching. Anybody remember that? People say, what? And that simply means you take a passage of scripture and you unpack it. Now, I won't do this to you. When I preached once up north, uh, I went through the book of Ephesians, and I think it took me a year and a half. You'll all be finding other churches by then, right? You'll be saying, oi, it won't be that boring. And I'm hoping that what we will be speaking into is where we live and how the gospel affects us. And the reason I picked Philippians is for two reasons. One... If any of you have done any kind of Bible study, you may have come across in commentaries that the book of Philippians is called the book or the epistle of joy. More than any other epistle, this book is full of joy and rejoicing and Paul's joy in telling his people to rejoice over and over again. There's a reason for that. And it's the most joyful and positive and tightly relational book because Paul and the Philippian church were close. There was something really good about that relationship. And because of it, because of their spiritual health, I think they become a good model for us to learn from. In other words, to here, here's where I'm at. I've got these struggles. Here's where they were at. Here's how they succeeded. Hmm, maybe I can benefit from that. Maybe I can glean something that will help me become a saint alive to be lively in my spiritual life. And so that's where we're going to go. So that's why I picked it. His favorite and healthy church is a good model for us. So with all of that in mind, I think I've said just about everything I want to say as a preliminary, except for one other thing. And that is, if you're visiting with us, uh, you just need to understand I have a very strange sense of humor. Uh, The people who regularly come here have gotten used to it and they're tolerating it, so you're going to have to do the same thing unless you don't want to. (laughs) If you have questions about what the church is all about, what the gospel is all about, what I'm preaching about, anything like that, I'm happy to answer those questions. If you're nervous about coming up and speaking to me, especially today because I have a cold, There's a little sheet like this, a little card in the pews. There's one somewhere nearby. Pull it out, fill it out, put your question on it, drop it in the, uh, not in the, well, you can put it in the offering plate, but we're too late now. On the way out the door, there is a box on the side, a little wooden, what's it marked? Suggestions or something? Questions, something. Drop it right in there, and we will be glad to get back to you for sure. Would um, Would you join me in prayer this morning? we are rejoicing, God, in your mercy and your grace. Lord, last week we were uh, celebrating, we were looking upward, we were encouraged by so many brothers and sisters who came to speak life to us and to exalt the name of Jesus And that's really what your people are to be doing while we're left here on earth before we gather up to be with you for eternity. That day is most assuredly coming, and and in light of the events in our world, it may be closer than we think. But in the meantime, we are called to be saints alive, to thrive. And it is possible for that to happen. 
And so, God, we're asking in Jesus' name that you would lead us into the paths of righteousness. Help us not just to get through what time you have left for us, but help us to thrive in it and to be fruit-bearing. So this morning, I'm asking for illumination. I'm asking for the help of the Holy Spirit. I'm asking for you, Lord, to uh, bring clarity from your word and the words that I have to share uh, because I have no confidence in my own flesh or my physical ability this morning. But I do have confidence that your Holy Spirit is able to take us places that we didn't even think about before we came in this door. You can speak into our life. You can equip us. You can gift us. You can give vision and purpose and passion and ministry ideas. You can do that. And uh, you utilize the gathering of the saints and the instruction from your word. And sometimes you just bulldoze your way right into our life without us even knowing how you got there. So, Lord, we're inviting you to work. And we're asking in Jesus' name that you give us your mind a little bit today. And we'll thank you for that. In the great name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. Well, I've put this uh, picture on the wall, and there's a reason I have it. That's a better picture of it. It's a little bit grainy. This is a... Anybody want to guess what that was? Nope. It's an old... What do you think it was? It was a church. You win. It was a church. In fact, it is a priory. What is a a monastery? Uh, It's over in uh, England... And uh, my wife and I had the privilege of getting there. It's on a location that is known as Lindisfarne, otherwise known as Holy Island. Here's what's kind of fun about Holy Island. It's like a couple of other places around the world. Uh, We went there. When you go to Holy Island, you come to the shoreline of the North Sea. It's way up north. It's in what is called the Scottish Borders If you have in your mind a little bit of what England looks like, you have Ireland. I'm going to do it your way. Ireland's over here. England's here. Scotland's up here. Scotland and England are joined by a little narrow 70-mile-across location that I've mentioned before because Hadrian's Wall from the Roman Empire separated the northern barbarians from the south where civilized Rome was. And uh, those of you who are movie buffs, and you all better become some... um, You might remember in um, King Arthur that they tried to visualize that, and I'm going to reference that again in a minute. Anyway, when you go to Holy Island, you come to the shoreline of the uh, North Sea, and there's a causeway that goes out along a flat. And right by the road is a marker that explains, this is the timetable of the tide. Because if you are driving out there, when the tide comes in, you just lost your vehicle. It just surrounds that island. That's why it's called Holy Island. But for a few hours every day, it's not really an island. There's a dry causeway, a couple of miles of road that you have to go out. So we drove out and visited Lindisfarne. That's where it was. The reason it got my attention is because of the story behind it. So I gave you a little bit of history just so you know. I don't know about you. Have you ever interacted with people who have gone to Israel or they want to go to Israel because they want to walk where Jesus walked, right? And I get that. 
Now, I don't particularly have any strong desire to go to the Middle East right now. It's not one of the safest places in the world. I have a view about those kind of visits, and that is that Jesus has walked in many places on the, on the globe. Not in his physical body, but spiritually. Our, the camp where my wife and I met, Uncle Wynn's camp, I remember when he was discipling me a little bit, he mentioned one day, you know, the Holy Spirit has moved on this property so many times. It's kind of as though it's a sacred place. So when I've been traveling and I've known about a place where the Spirit has done something remarkable, I like to connect with that. Anybody know what I mean? I, I like to go to that spot. Like I went in Oxford to Martyr's Monument where three Protestant martyrs laid their lives down for the gospel truth of the Bible. And I found the actual location around the corner from the monument where there's still a cross in cobblestones on the ground that the actual funeral pyre, the, the burning pyre, was. And I remember kneeling down and touching that. Just, just that sense of connection. In South Africa, there's a place in Wellington where... Uh, the famous preacher Andrew Murray. You may be acquainted with his name because he wrote With Christ in the School of Prayer, a wonderful encouragement toward praying effectually, where in his church there, the Dutch Reformed Church in Wellington, revival broke out on his watch. And so when we drove through Wellington, we had to go into the church and kind of touch the pews where the Holy Spirit dropped down on the people of God and brought transformation. There's just something, I'm weird that way. And maybe you are a little bit too. We do that with like grave sites and things like that that mean something to us. We, we have that sense of connection. Well, there are stories like this, and Lindisfarne is one of them. Because what happened when the early church was winning the day in the Roman Empire and, and the gospel went all over the world, early on, some missionaries got to England and some implantation of Christianity took place, but in the years that followed, in the next two or three hundred years, what was called paganism pushed Christianity back out. And in the center area between Scotland and southern England is an area called Northumbria. And that area had been entirely taken over by people who worshipped spirits and elves, believed in dragons and magic and all kinds of false falsehood, superstition, if you will, not unlike America today. <laughs> that, that was a little humor, but only a little. I mean, really, when you have to shut the toilet because the feng shui energy is going to go down the... I mean, please. But people believe that. And what I'm trying to say is that we're... All right. I think it was Chesterton who said, the problem with not believing the gospel is not that people will believe nothing... Everyone was afraid everyone was going to become an atheist. He said, no, the problem is they'll believe anything. Because the Christian biblical worldview is the accurate scientific worldview of what exists. So that had taken the place by storm. And along comes a man, you're going to like this name. Some grandparents are really going to like this name. St. Aidan. I have a grandchild named Aidan, and so do some people here in the church, right? But anyway, St. Aidan was a believer, 
radical believer, wanted to come and serve God in this area of Northumbria and began to preach the gospel. And some good things happened that made it easy for him. Let me just explain a little bit about this. One, there was a prince named Oswald. He was the, pr- the prince, apparent, the, the, the next in line to become king in the area of Northumbria. In 616, he gets baptized as a Christian, and he made a commitment because he really got it. He made a commitment that he would do all he could to bring Christianity back to the area of Northumbria to win the day again. And so when Aidan came on the scene, he invited him to be part of the preaching of the gospel, and he supported him along the way. And he gave him this place, Lindisfarne, that was able to build this priory where he could train monks and do all kinds of outreach. He used to go onto the mainland, wander into villages, preach to those people, including children and slaves, which were usually ignored. And he would share the good news with them and even brought an educational dimension. And eventually it did produce a number of uh, priests who uh, were missionary in nature. Very interesting. The monastery he founded, grew, and helped found churches and other religious institutions throughout the area. And it also served as a center of learning and a storehouse of scholarly knowledge. So when I learned all this about Lindisfarne, I thought, this is really cool. I like this place. And I said to my wife the last few days as I was studying all this again, I want to go back. I want to see it again if I can, you know. Here's a kind of a fun story. Later on, after the gospel had been reestablished, there was opposition. Pagan armies came back against the Christianization and started warring on some of those towns. Anybody see uh, King Arthur? They had a little visual of what the northern barbarians might have looked like. And there was some of that happening. And they surrounded a local town called Bamberg and they set it on fire. Aden was in his cell at Lindisfarne Abbey and he looked out the window and he saw the smoke and he knew what that meant. He knew that that Christian town was under attack. And so he got on his knees and began to pray. Miraculously the winds shifted abruptly, reversed their course, blowing the conflagration towards the enemy, which convinced the enemy that the spiritual powers that Aden had were more powerful than their superstitious spirits and sprites and false gods. Isn't that cool? Miraculous. And say, so what? Okay, I'll tell you why. Anybody remember this? Oh, this screen right here. This was a couple of weeks ago. Unfailing sovereignty, unchangeable grace, unusual workings. In the story of this church, uh, this, uh, this expansion of Christianity, you have the sovereignty of God that this man has a king supporting him. And even after the king passes away, another king and queen rise up and continue supporting his work so that he can preach the gospel, become an educational center, in fact, That's one of the things that was cool about Lindisfarne. They brought education. You do realize that often Christian missionaries are the ones who bring literacy and education to illiterate peoples many times. And that's what happened. You have the sovereignty of God. You have this unchangeable grace. The gospel still turns people's lives around. And sometimes you get unusual workings. 
remarkable, miraculous things that happen. And when that happens, that's really fun. Don't you think? So you're all saying, so when do we get one of those? <laughs> hey, don't rush me. You rush a miracle man, you get rotten miracles. You know, <laughs> don't do it. All right. All right, let me go backwards for a second. I have to back up to this other verse. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Paul is saying this about the Philippians. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. If I had used a different title today, it would have been this. Participation in the gospel. Participation in the gospel. Northumbria, the people who were lost, who were superstitious, who were illiterate, participated in the gospel and it changed the history of that area. The people in Philippi participate in the gospel and it changes the history of that area. Before I read a passage out of the book of Acts that describes the beginning of the church in Philippi, let me just say this. We're only going to read one quarter of the story. The rest of the story has to do with a demon-possessed slave girl where there's an exorcism, makes all kinds of trouble. Resulting from that is persecution, an illegal beating. Paul and Silas and maybe others of his colleagues get thrown into prison unjustly, illegally. They're in prison. They're rejoicing just like we would in the same circumstances, (laughs) praising God. And an earthquake occurs, an unusual working. (laughs) An earthquake occurs, and uh, the doors get flown open. The jailer sees what happens. I'm going to tell you more about who these people are next time. And he gets converted, and his whole household decides to sign up for the gospel. They participate in the gospel. That's part of the story. And we want all of that to happen in church, right? How fun is that? Let me reprise, I already reprised that old screen about the sovereignty of God, the grace of God, and the unusual workings of God. In Lindisfarne it happened, in Paul's case it happened, sovereignty brought him to the place, Philippi, which has significant history, a capital type city, and grace prevailed, and we're going to read about that right now, and unusual workings all helped to plant and secure the church in that day. So here's the story for now. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside. This is all in Acts chapter 16, for those of you who are Bible study people, where we were supposing there would be a place of prayer, because often that would be case, the case, and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. A certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Now, there's more to read, but I'm going to stop there for just a minute. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. There is a work of grace that happens in this context. In fact, commentators have mentioned what's really fun about the Philippian church is that people from every strata get drawn in. Lydia is an entrepreneur. She probably runs a business. She has a villa as a home. We're going to find out about that in a minute. And uh, she's the very first, the very beginning 
of the gospel there in the beginning of the church. Then there's this uh, jailer who is probably a retired veteran because this is what Rome used to do. They would take their veterans and move them to a city that they made a, uh, a national city and they would put their, their retired veterans there and they would have positions of status like being the jailer meant he had a certain amount of authority. So he had a civil servant. You know, you had the corrections officer. I think we have some of those. You know what I mean? You had him. And then you had those who were slaves and those who were poor and were more of the outcasts, all of whom came into the kingdom of heaven by being part of the Philippian church. The next thing that happens right after that, when she and her household had been baptized, that probably didn't happen in the first hour. So Paul was there for a bit here. She urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As best as we can know, Lydia's home was where the first church began there. And that was the place where the saints would meet. They made their, their possessions available. But what I want to mention today is about the issue of grace. Why are we going to pray tonight? Why do we continue to pray as saints? Because there has to be a working of the Holy Spirit to help us. What we want to do is cooperate with what God does in the lives of people. Learning to see where the Spirit is moving on people and helping them come into the family. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the things that were spoken by Paul. Someone has asked me to put the Greek words on the screen. So I'm going to do that, not because I'm insisting that you write it down, but for those who are interested. Here's the word that is used, dianoigo. It means literally to open. It's the reference that is used sometimes to open the womb, as in with the firstborn child. It's the same word that is used when Jesus encounters a man who is deaf and has a speech impediment, and he touches his ears and says, be opened, the man begins to speak and can hear. It means there's an opening up. It changes everything. There's a revelation, if you will. It happens. That's the word that is used for her heart to be open. It doesn't say that uh, she figured it out and did the math and calculated it. It says the Holy Spirit turned the light on. You remember my, uh, I could have had a V8. That's an old advertisement. But that's exactly what occurred. Suddenly, as she's hearing Paul speak, the lights become, uh, the lights come on and she realizes that she needs to be part of this story of gospel grace. She needs to enter into it. And so she receives Jesus as her Savior, and she and her family all dialogue, and they accept Christ as well, and they end up being baptized and becoming part of the church. The reason that I have that up there is to remind us that this is why we press in asking God to help us. I recently interacted with a brother who told me his philosophy of, of evangelism. And by the way, if you have no philosophy of evangelism or ever witnessing or sharing, then I'll take his over yours any day. Okay? But what it sounded like to me was kind of what I see with the Jehovah Witnesses. Do you know what I mean when you watch Jehovah Witnesses? They run frenetically to go from house to house to house because it's all dependent on us to make it happen. But my brothers and sisters, it's not all dependent on us. 
there's a work that the spirit has to do that we need to learn to cooperate with. The passage just before Paul's proclamation of the gospel to Lydia says that Paul was in a certain place and he and his team wanted to move up into a certain area in the Middle East and the Holy Spirit forbade them. Forbade them. You can go back and read it for yourself. The Spirit prevented him from preaching in one place and said he could not preach the gospel there. He had to wait. Why did he wait? Because he was going to have that Macedonian vision where the, the Holy Spirit was going to lead him to go across the water over into Greece, the first church plant in Europe. This was it. God had something in mind. What I have to learn to do is learn to follow what the Holy Spirit is leading me to do. And I think there are people all around us that the Spirit is grooming the ground, getting us ready to step into that opportunity. And sometimes we're trying to yank on somebody who's not ready to move, and this person over here is completely ready to enter in. Learning how to do that. Some of you may remember this verse. It's a very important one. It actually should be a memory verse for you if you haven't done it before. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. People like to argue sovereignty, election, and all of that. One thing, all I want to make clear is that if there wasn't gracious working of the Spirit to open my mind, left to myself, I'm really not interested in following God. There has to be help from God. He's reaching out with it, I believe, many, many times, but I need that desperately, the grace of God that turns the light on, that opens my mind, opens my ears, opens my eyes to the good news. No one ultimately can boast. That's why Christians are the most grateful and thankful. Thank you, God, that you rescued me. Thank you that you included me in the kingdom because left to myself, I surely couldn't earn it. It's important. So there's, there is a participation in the gospel that is because of the grace of God. By the way, this is the word for participation. Anybody recognize it? If you've been around a long time, you've heard, yeah, they name churches, koinonia, whatever. It's a famous name. It's a Greek word that means to have in common, to share. It's the word behind communion. When we have communion, we have it in common. But here's some of the other innuendos of the meaning of the word koinonia. To be in contact with, to be intimate with, to have a close mutual relationship with, to fellowship, to commune, to contribute, to share in, to participate, to participate. In Northumbria, the people participated in the gospel. In Philippi, Lydia and her family started it. They participated in the gospel. They got close to it. They participated. They took it into them and they spread it out to others as well. And so they participated in the gospel. And somewhere along the line, if you're a believer today, you participated in the gospel. Anybody here participate in the gospel ever? You've received it? Maybe you've shared it as well. So that brings us to the second half. Anybody know what comes after the verse, by grace you have been saved through faith? Yeah. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If I've been born again, there's fruit that God's expecting. Right? But it comes because of the grace of God, not in order to get the grace of God. There may be people sitting listening to me today that still think if I can just get this part of my life. How many times I've talked with people. If I could just clean up this bad habit, then I'd be ready for Jesus. Friends, you're never going to be ready for Jesus because you don't see 87 other bad habits you don't even know about yet. It's only as the Lord reveals and opens your mind that you start to see, holy cow, I never knew that was wrong. I never knew that was sin. I never knew that I should think differently about that. Anybody know what I'm talking about or am I just babbling here? Well, I am babbling, but anybody following my babble? (laughs) You start by casting yourself on the mercy of God, on his grace, because by grace you have been saved through faith, not as a result of works, No, because I've been born again, that's why I delight to do works for him. And he energizes me to do them. Rather than trying to grip my teeth and make them happen, he energizes me. Now, if you get this, then you want to be part of the history-making enterprise that is the church. I don't want to opine too much. I almost was afraid I'd be telling too many stories today. And um, I mentioned a while back that I've been, I was reading a book with my fellow pastors called The Rise of the Nuns. And the nuns, is, this is not a Catholic book. It's not about nuns like my aunt was a nun. That's not what I mean. The nuns are N-O-N-E-S. They're the people that we interact with, which represent, by the way, about 20% of our present culture and more who basically, when you ask them, do you have any church background? None. Are you interested in going to any church? None. Are you mad at Christianity? No. It's irrelevant. It doesn't mean a thing to me. And by the way, I totally get that. I understand why they feel that way. They're nuns. What's the point to it? So in that book, the author had a little tirade because... People are pushing back against, uh, you know, does the church even matter? Well, brothers and sisters, I just want to be clear. The church is God's plan A. There is no plan B. I don't care whether it's in a building like this or if they're, I'm going to say something risque here, if they're better off and they meet in catacombs or in a gym or somewhere else. Because in a way, not having the trappings of churchiness is an advantage. I don't care where they meet, whether they meet in homes, whether they're hiding uh, in places where persecution breaks out. Once it was behind the Iron Curtain, now it's behind the ISIS Curtain. Wherever it is, it doesn't matter. The church is the plan that God is using to win souls into the kingdom. The goal of missions is the church, and the goal of the church is mission. There's plan A, there's no plan B. So he's going to continue to put his favor on his church. What we need to be concerned about is that we're in that portion of his church where he's working so that his favor is helping us. And so there is, in fact, a continuing story. We went back to the 600s, then we dropped all the way back to the first century, And now we have to fast forward all the way to where we live now. This church started back in 1970. 
So there's some history there. It's had some rough water, tough times, but I don't know about you, my desire is to see us be part of that grace community that is seeing the kingdom go forward. However God wants to use us. Interesting that Lindisfarne became not only a place for the gospel to go out, but it became a place of educational center. Back then, they were the first um, visual, they were a visual culture. Do you know what I'm saying? Not the first, but they were a visual culture. So the way they wanted to preach the gospel, we would use movies. Today, we would use movies. Back then, they took a gospel and they illuminated the manuscript. Do you know what that is? An illuminated manuscript? It's one of those old texts that has all the fancy flowers on it. For them, there was no local cinema. That was a big attraction. And so all the locals, even if they couldn't read, they would come and look at the illuminated manuscript. It's called the Lindisfarne Gospel. It was an open door to draw people in using art, even if they didn't fully understand, to preach the gospel to people. Isn't that cool? Well, there are some creative ways God wants to do it today. But to do it, we may have to be a little bit different. Might take some stretching. If you understand this, you want to be part of that history-making enterprise that Jesus calls his church. Say, I get all of that. Can I just remind you of something that Tim Keller said? Have I bored you today? I'm not feeling great, so I don't know whether I'm like totally incoherent or I'm getting somewhere. I don't know. I hope I'm getting somewhere. Tim Keller said this. One of the signs that you may not grasp the unique, radical nature of the gospel is that you're certain that you do. You know why I'm putting that up there? Because I am at war with Christian boredom and disinterest. I'm at war with it. I don't get it. And when I see Christians that are disinterested and bored and eh, I don't know what I want to do, I have a feeling you don't completely grasp, if at all, the unique, radical nature of the gospel. I'm here for a reason, and so are you. Am I pressing into my reason for existence? And it's really not that hard. I was talking with a brother yesterday. How many times people are absolutely willing to have you pray with them if they're going through a hard time? It doesn't matter whether they're a Christian. I have some interaction with family members where I've, gotten, I've become aware of somebody in this last week, a person who was raised in a broken home, very tragic, completely emotionally neglected and wounded this young person. And my wife and I have been talking about it and grieving and aching over this because this person is so full of rejection and insecurity and rage because everything that happens, they interpret through their rejection grid. By the way, I know all about that. I've told you that. You know, they, they interpret the slightest, slightest thing as rejection and they get furious and it comes out eventually. Why did they do this to me? Why did this happen? And my heart just breaks because there's an answer to this. Did you know that there's an answer? Do you remember years ago, the bumper stickers, Jesus is the answer? And then somebody was sarcastic and put out an opposite bumper sticker. Yeah, but what's the question? 
And my brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, you do need to have the specific application, but Jesus is the answer. There is an answer. There's a way to apply Jesus' truth to that specific wounding, that that's not the way God intended parents to be. That's not the way it was supposed to happen. And there's a love in heaven with your name on it that wants to heal that and aim you toward the God who loves perfectly. Even though he's got a lot of bad press, it's a lie. So he is, in fact, the answer. That's why when the gospel really takes root in a person, I move ahead to this verse. I'm going to skip the end of my sermon and go to this. I'm confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will, in fact, perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. When I see that beachhead established, I can have an assurance God is going to continually pester that person and move them toward holiness, try to move them toward healing, whatever it is that God's trying to do so that the nature of Jesus is reflected in them because that's what the church is all about, reflecting him and his honor. Boy, we got great days ahead. I'm scared to death. How about you? I can't wait to see what's going to happen. You know, but may God help us. I'm going to pray and ask the usher, uh, the ushers, the worship ushers. You're done. The worship team, if you would come forward, and we're going to close with a song. But let me just say, as we've been talking about Lydia and the Lord opening her eyes, and by grace you have been saved. If you're not sure about that, if you're listening to my words today and going, I'm not sure. I totally get that. Let me encourage you, come and ask. We would love to guide you into that right relationship that is not only life in the here and now, it's life forever. Lord, help us. God, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would lead us into the future. And God, we want to be not just doing things, we want to be doing that which is moving right behind your Holy Spirit's forward motion in the lives of people. Sometimes we don't even see it initially. We want to see it, and we want to cooperate with you. And so, Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would give us hearts that are open and teachable because some of what we're going to have to do will be a little bit not churchy, perhaps. We'll need to adjust. We'll need to be open to what you want to accomplish. We ask for help in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said... Amen.